Thanks for tuning in to the Black Rifle Coffee Network. This is the Medivac Podcast, powered by the Robert Irvine Foundation. I'm on your host, David Reed. And I'm your other host, Christian Myers. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. Our guest today, before we hop in, keep in mind there's a price for the show. If you're new here, you have to share the show with friend or family member if you get something out of today's episode. And... It's a new season for us brand with a new, new studio. Yeah. If you were uh, checking out our brand new studio, pretty sexy. What do you guys think? Let us know. Let us Comment know below. All that jazz. It's good to be back. Who's our guest today? Back season two. J.R. Martinez. Welcome, brother. What's Th- up, fellas? Thanks How you for being doing? here. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I know we've been talking yeah. for a long time to try to get me yeah. on the podcast and happy that life is slowed down a little bit where I... Honestly, the reason why I couldn't do it for a long time is because I was always, I was still busy with my daughter's softball. Like, yeah. I mean, she's playing select ball and there's like tournaments nonstop for all Crushing the parents to understand what I'm talking about. It's like, I'm just yeah. a driver, you yeah. know, just got to get her from here, from there, <laughs> feed her, you yeah. know, it's like, the, chauffeur. I'm, yeah, literally, I'm, her, I'm well. like her man, a road manager. That's what I am. <laughs> um, but no, man, it's, it's great to be here and obviously really cool. Dig the space, man. I just Thanks. love what you guys are doing and how you guys are essentially creating a platform to, to have conversation, man. And I think it's really important for individuals that served in the military, mm. different jobs or different experiences, but nonetheless to come together and say, listen, man, we, there's some commonality between the things that we've experienced that yeah. we've, you know, had tr- trouble with. And hopefully somebody at home right now, you know, listening or watching can say, man, I connect with that shit on some level. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's really important to showcase these stories, not just to like really feel that camaraderie again, to just, you know, sit down and open up, but it's to showcase to civilians out there as well, what we go through and to Mm. kind of humanize those that are in the military as well. Yep. Right. So let's talk about your journey and how you got started. Mm -hmm. You know, what made you decide to join the military? Was it family sense of freedom or just college? Uh, You know, it it (laughs) was uh, a little bit of all of the above in a sense, right. To be honest. Um, So I have a a unique um, background in a sense of, my mother is from Central America, um, mm-hmm. El Salvador. And, you know, I was born in the United States. I was born in, in Louisiana. At a very early age, I understood what I had in this country. Mm, yeah. And even though as Americans, we have this horrible habit of comparing ourselves to our peers, to other people that we don't even know, people we see on TV, people we see at the <laughs> coffee shop, people we see wherever – we have a tendency to compare, oh, that person's wearing that type of clothing. That person drives that type of car. That person's driving to that type of neighborhood because that's where they live. Yeah. So we immediately compare ourselves. So if you look at my childhood, if I'm comparing, I didn't have shit. Like mm. I didn't have a lot. Like my mother was interesting, was, was barely kind of putting it together, working multiple jobs, you know, over the course of my childhood. Yeah. I, it was very troubling in a sense of like, my mom was in some really unhealthy relationships that yeah. turned into not only from verbal abuse, but went into physical abuse. I mm-hmm. witnessed a lot of that. So that affects you too. It does affect yeah. me. You don't realize that until down you know, the line. Later yeah. down I think the that's line. a big thing that, uh, that probably is coming a little bit more prominent now in the mental health community for sure is to realize the childhood trauma <laughs> for that you sure. went through. And there's also oddly enough, a correlation between childhood trauma and wanting to join the infantry. Yeah. Well, and soft specifically <laughs> specifically soft. There's like there's actual there's actual studies done that a, a high majority of special operations members were subjected to uh child abuse when they were young. I mean, yeah. It's I mean and, and weird you think about it like you're like, well, it's it's an opportunity for you to now be in power, to yeah. be in control, to mm-hmm. feel like now you're getting all of these skills and yeah. resources. So if life tries to come at you again, you can combat that, yeah, right? There, that. There's I'm going to kill it. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's an element of, of control and power yeah, right? That, that growing up, I didn't feel like I had, right? Mm, My mom yeah. kept putting us in this situation because yeah. her own trauma and repetitively just going down this cycle mm. that I didn't have power or control to say, stop bringing this dude back every yeah. time yes. I call the cops and he gets taken away, See. gets locked up on a Friday, Saturday night. But then next weekend, he's yeah. back at the house yeah. drinking again, trying to like be an asshole. Yeah. So, mm. so, so I went to El Salvador as a kid mm. many times. And that was when my perspective shifted. 
And what I mean by that is, again, I was the kid that only had two, three pair of jeans that I would recycle throughout the a school week. Yep. Um, I didn't have all the nice clothes. I didn't go on trips. I, I didn't do all of those things. A lot of my peers did, but I didn't. But you got uh, out there. And when yeah. I went to El Salvador, I'm like, yo, my family, like, and I'm not talking about like distant ancestry.com shit where you're like, oh my God, we're related 45th cousin. No, this yeah. is like my aunt, my uncle, my grandmother, like, I mean, immediate family mm-hmm. that didn't have electricity. Yeah. Like my cousins didn't go to school. Clean water. Like yeah. water. Like you went to the bathroom in the woods. Yeah. Like, yeah. There was a perspective shift that happened for me at a very young age, but there was also something about so so, so simple about that lifestyle yeah. that yeah. I gravitated to. So, mm. well, it's a little bit more life based. I mean, you're reactionary. Yeah. You're just trying to get through the next day. Yeah. So, what do you think that that says about building resiliency as well? You know, there's a fine line when when you hear people about parenting, and you know the spankings and all this stuff. Yeah. But how does that translate? to get you prepared to go through the situation that you did in the military. I I think that conditioning of that perspective, I think is, is everything. I mean, you know, I have two young kids. Uh, My oldest is 10 and listen, I'm very blessed. I'm in a great place in life right now where I've created an incredible life Mm -hmm. for her and she doesn't have to experience the things that I experienced at her age. Yeah. But I'm also not going to abandon the very things that allowed me to become the person that I am today. Exactly. I'm going to bring those things into the relationship that I have with her and say, no, you need to learn to have some independence. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Lauren, that's her name. When you were, when I was nine years old, I was getting myself up in the morning for school because I didn't have my mom at home. Mm -hmm. My mom was working the graveyard shift. I had to get myself to school. I had to get myself home from school. Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to, a lot of responsibility. Now that doesn't mean that I'm going to now project that my daughter had the same amount of responsibility that I had. It just means you got to learn to have some of it. You got to start developing that. And so literally I sat down and had a conversation with her about this responsibility and being disciplined. You know, when you get up in the morning and you're not getting out of bed and yeah. you're taking your sweet ass time, but then you're rushing to get on the bus or you're, we're rushing to get out of the house. That's stress. Yep. You don't need, it's literally you can combat that <laughs> literally sat down, had a conversation with my nine year old daughter at the time and all of it, it, it just, it registered. Mm. And now she gets like her alarm goes off at six o'clock, six Oh five. She's like, I'm, she's texting me like upstairs. Like I'm, I'm awake. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm and I told her, I was like, I'll be downstairs to greet you. But the days of me going up there and dragging your ass around the bed yeah. to get you up and all those days are over. You make your lunch the night before you set out your clothes mm-hmm. the night before. Like you just get your shit together. You yeah. focus on the things that you can control. So me going to El Salvador, you know, gave me a lot of perspective. So I'm growing up in the South. I was born in Louisiana, lived there till I was nine, moved to Arkansas at nine, lived there till I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. And then senior year high school, moved to Georgia. Yeah. So I always had this vision that I was going to go to college and play sports. I wanted to play football. That's what I wanted to do. But I academically didn't have the grades, nor did I have the financial means to go Mm -hmm. to a a college. Did you have the skills? Hell no. But I thought I did. I thought I did. You know, in that moment I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I could play, I could play this game. And I remember there was a guy, um, when I was a teenager, there was a guy, I forget his name. I think it's something Anderson. He played for the Denver Broncos and Mm. he was a Marine. Okay. He had, he had served four years in the Marine Corps, got out and then went back to pursue his dream of being a football player. Yeah, football. And he was like playing for the Broncos and he was good. He had a couple years. And I was just like, yeah, that could be me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can do so, that. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so fast forward to, I graduate from high school. I'm sort of thinking about what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I'm not going to go to college. Uh, um, at that time I didn't feel like it was, it was, it, it wasn't fitting into the sort of the, the picture perfect you know, scenario that I had written out when you do that exercise. And so I was just going through the motions and I mean, as cliche as it sounds, guys, like I saw a commercial yeah, and, and I was like, uh, let me go see what this is. It was is. the Navy SEAL commercial. Oh, it was not the Navy <laughs> SEAL commercial. Popping up out of the water. <laughs> and, and the thing was, is that it had been in my head a little bit mm-hmm. because my senior high school recruiters would pop up mm. 
right? One of my football coaches, my senior high school had served in the military. So Mm -hmm. he talked about it. So I didn't grow up with this family tradition and history of you're going to serve. My mom would always say to me though, my mom would say to me, and listen, I, I know there's probably going to be some people that are going to disagree and that's fine. That's okay. That's, I think we got to get to a point in life where we can agree to disagree, but in order to appreciate my story and what I've done and what I've overcome and what I've created for myself, we have to touch on like my mom's journey of being from Central America. She Mm -hmm. was an undocumented immigrant. She Mm -hmm. did come here in that context and had me here. And the one thing my mom always said to me growing up, she said, this is your country. You're going to give back to this country. You're Mm, always going to make this country. You're going to make this country better. She would always say that, but she never said you're going to join the military or you're going to. And it wasn't a clear defined. Right. It was just more sort of theoretically, you're going to give back. And so an incredible concept. And I think it needs to uh, a moment for the audience to listen to that too is, (laughs) Is you know we we complain all the time yeah. uh, uh, about you know illegal immigrants and all this other capacity, but coming in and sacrificing what you did is incredible. It just goes mm. to showcase what the butterfly effect is all about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and listen, like I mean, we don't obviously want to trail off into this, but but you know, as someone who obviously has um, a great respect for people around the world that don't have what we have in this country mm-hmm. and are seeking more opportunity. Um, I have a great respect for those people that are willing to sacrifice those types of things. Yeah. However, I'm the first one to also acknowledge there's a bunch of assholes that are also look, seeking to come to the United States and aren't, you know, the best individuals. And so, yeah. yes, we got to address that. But to categorize, I think the problem that we tend to make as human beings in general mm-hmm. is that when we start to categorize what, a whole group of people, yeah. a whole population Lump of individuals in. based on one experience, one interaction, one yeah. conversation. That's where we start to miss out on the possibility of there's a young four foot 11 Salvadorian woman that just <laughs> has this son who she's conditioning to hopefully one day impact the world. So yeah, yeah. to give back, I yeah. graduate from high school. I go visit this recruiter. This recruiter tells me all of these amazing things. And I think this is it. This is going to solve all my problems. Mm. And so I remember rushing home and telling my mom that I talked to her recruiter. I want to join the army. Yeah. And she was immediately like, no, okay. immediately. No, but this is why. So I had a sister who passed away when I was three years old from an illness that she was born with. Mm-hmm. So my mother has lost a child in the early eighties in central America. There was a civil war that was happening in El Salvador. Yeah. My mother was there at the time. She understand what war does to people just mm-hmm. being a civilian yeah. in this environment. Yeah. That was one of the reasons she was leaving is to look for better opportunity. So my mother understanding that I graduated high school in 2002. Yeah. Nine 11 just happened. Mm-hmm. We had troops in Afghanistan, and there are rumors of us going over to Iraq or some other place. Mm -hmm. She knew that if I joined the military during a time of war, I would go to war, which would increase the chances of her losing another child, her only son. So she's operating from a fear, from a place of fear. Realistic, hey, get it, but it's from, no, you're not going to do it because Mm. I'm too afraid of what the reality could be because I know that reality. Yeah. And that's imagination, and that's a tricky line to flirt with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and But here's – despite – and listen, we can have a whole other episode dedicated (laughs) to the goods and the bads of what my mom did for me. You know, She gave me a lot of amazing traits and skills, but my mom also screwed me up in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. My mom had a lot of trauma she never dealt with, Mm -hmm. being the fact that you know she is Hispanic and she is a woman and where we're from, that's not necessarily what you do. You don't talk about mental health. You don't go to a therapist. You you just pray. You go to church, you pray, and then you kiss it up to God and everything's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. That's that's how it works in, in, in in our culture. And so she, unfortunately, she just projected a lot of that shit onto me. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it. I started to be conditioned in a certain way. Those things are going to come back into the conversation later. But one of the most amazing things that my mother gave me was her willingness, despite not truly agreeing or understanding why I wanted to do something, mm-hmm. was always willing to sit down and listen to me. Mm. That's, that's huge. That's affording uh, an opportunity that most people don't get. I, I mean, mean, man... 
so when I talked about moving from Arkansas to Georgia, my senior high school, mm -hmm. I facilitated that. Mm -hmm. I was the one that was like, yo, Arkansas is not the joint for me. I need to get out of here. Um, we had f f friends that lived in Georgia and I was like, mom, why don't I just move? Why don't we move to Georgia? Mm -hmm. And my mom didn't agree, but was like, okay, I'll listen to you. And we moved. <laughs> she followed me. But here again, I'm proposing the idea of joining the military. Yeah. She definitely doesn't agree with that idea, mm. but is willing to sit down and listen to me and have a conversation with me. At the, the conclusion of this two hour conversation, she says, I'll support you. If that's what you want to do. Wow. Now think about this. Like for people watching, listening right now, how many of us in our family dynamic, especially for parents, mm -hmm. if our kids came up to us and say, Hey, I want to talk. Most of us are going to be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're not going to listen to our kids yeah. because we're, we're the adults. We know better, right? We make the decision for them. We make yeah. the decision for them. We've lived life, right? But then also in the, any work environment, any mm -hmm. work setting, how, how, how often do you empower somebody to make a decision to come up with an idea, but then say, no, all right, cool. Listen, I may not, I may not get it. I may not see the vision. That's huge. Yeah. But you know what? I gave you that opportunity to do it. I got to support that and we're going to mm -hmm. roll with it and we're rolling with it together mm -hmm. yeah. as one unit. And I believe that what my mother did for me, I mean, pay dividends and it, and it, Oddly enough, I believe later in life came back to almost haunt me in a sense. <laughs> so I joined the military. I joined the army. I go off to basic training. My thought process was. Which you is know, like right around the corner, by the way, if you're living in Georgia already. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. It's not that far. It's Still 75 miles south <laughs> and to Fort Benning, Georgia to yeah. basic training. Um, and so my reason to join the military was I wanted to give back to a country that had given so much to me and my family because mm -hmm. I had that perspective. I also wanted to get money for college hmm. and, and I also wanted to travel yeah. to Fort Benning. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> travel all of Georgia. <laughs> from, from Dalton, Georgia, up northwest corner of Georgia down to you know Fort Benning, Georgia. So – I go off to basic training. I'm there for three months. And um, I remember we had a drill sergeant. His last name was Hanzik. And this dude was a ranger. And for whatever reason, he was, you know, now a drill sergeant. And mm. you could tell he wasn't happy about it, right? Like, you could <laughs> tell he was like, this. I want to be out in the field doing some shit. Like, yeah. right? He had that look in his eye. Like, you didn't cross the guy. The crazy. Yeah, yeah crazy. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't, you just, with him, you knew mm. there was just something different. Yeah, don't fuck with this guy. Yeah, <laughs> and I just remember, like, there was three drill sergeants we had, and there was, um, you know, the other two guys, you know, you took seriously, of course, but then, you know, the Hanzik was different. And one day, after the initial, like, couple of weeks of, like, the intensity of basic training and breaking you down and mm. everything, I remember one day him sitting down in the field with us and talking to us. And he said to me, he's like, you think that you guys think this shit is a game? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're going to be at war. When you guys graduate, you're going to get to your unit. You guys are going to war. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. really broke it down. And I remember looking around in the field and like everybody was like, oh, shit. It's, like, it's like, getting real. Oh, it's getting real. This dude has <laughs> never spoken to us yeah. besides telling <laughs> us to is, push. Yeah. And now he's actually having a conversation. It, and it's, like, and it's good. nothing good. It's great advice. Though. It is. I mean, but it, you but, don't realize it until after you get there. Though. Until Until the moment. And honestly, I tell people this all the time. Even though, like you two, I raised my right hand and I knew that war was a possibility, mm -hmm. I never thought it would be my reality. Yeah, I was hella naive, <laughs> just going through the motions, to your point. So I graduate from basic training. I mean, you develop some, some friendships and bonds. I mean, um, yeah. I graduate. I get assigned to my unit, which was the 101st out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 2nd and 502 Delta Company. And, you know, still, I'm kind of going through the motions, man. Like, sure. I'm just sort of like, this is fun. Like, this is cool. I'm 19. I'm yeah. going to be living in the barracks with mm -hmm. these guys that I perceive as fucking badasses. Like, I love my mom, but I'm I'm away from my mom. I think yeah. the military, years later through therapy, I realized that the military was also a way to sort of get away from my mom. Of course. And, um, of course. and for me to have I my own identity and independence. Mm -hmm. That's a huge thing for a lot of people. I mean, that's what I did. I straight used it to run away. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so here I am now, like going, <laughs> going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And I remember my drills, uh, my drill, sorry, my uh, platoon sergeant, um, 
one day pulling me aside and he was like, yo, Martinez, I got to talk to you. And he pretty much was like, Hey man, you need to be prepared. We're going to deploy. Yeah. And, so, the, and the reason he said that, because I'm a clown. I'm naturally. They picked a, this up. They yeah. picked up this clown <laughs> of a man. <laughs> like, you need to take this seriously, dude. Right. No, I was like, I thought I was brought in for humor. I yeah. thought I was brought in just I'm to sort of lighten relief, it up baby. a little bit. The comedy relief guy, you know, we can have a little fun, guys. Yeah. It doesn't have to be so serious. Yeah. And he was like, no, man, cut the shit. Like, you're, you're, we're going to deploy. Yeah. And sure enough, two months after arriving at Fort Campbell. Now, mind you, mm. I had to report to Fort Campbell. It was like mid-January of 2000. I'm trying to get my time frame right. Three. So you're a garrison waiting, yeah. uh, you know, two weeks or whatever it is, just bullshit and doing yeah. PT first thing in the morning, going to eat Burger King and just bullshit all day long. A lot waiting. Of cleaning. <laughs> exactly. A lot of clean. And so finally, by the time I actually got to the unit, the second of five O deuce, uh, cause it was either that you were going to go to rocket science. You were going to, I forgot um, where else they were possibly, but I ended up, it was like probably end of January. Mm. So I'm having this conversation with this sergeant early February, a couple weeks of me being there. Okay. And then literally right after that, he comes and hands us all sheets of paper that says we're <laughs> going to deploy any day now to any one of these countries for any extended period of time. Of course. Yeah. And then literally six weeks later, I'm on a plane with the rest of the unit heading over to the Middle East. Oh, shit, I mean, yeah. think about so how. within six weeks. Because six weeks, realistically, me being in my unit, wow. I was wow. on a plane. Yeah, Quick that- that is a quick turn. You're in the military for a grand total of four months at this point. And maybe. three of those were basic training. <laughs> yeah, and one and month AIT. of that <laughs> one month of that was actually me home on convalescent leave because it was around the holidays. So I got oh. to go home <laughs> for thirty days before I had a report. And so during those thirty yeah. days, I'm the guy that just joined the military, that graduated, wears yeah. my Hell uniform yeah. everywhere, yeah. eats everything, oh, does no PT, nothing. Yeah. Beret shows looking up. all oh, delicious. <laughs> so like, that's how quick it all happened. But here's the thing, man. Like, and, and listen, I, I, maybe there's a little bit of like, you know, I understand your audience. I understand who you guys are speaking to. And and um, and one of the things that I think there's probably a little bit of like an agenda on my part sitting down having this conversation is because I really want to highlight that one of the things that I, I, I was like, I am not prepared to go to war. Mm-hmm. Like, I kept hearing. But you knew that? Yeah. Oh, I knew that. Hmm. Okay, so I, I, that- I was, I was. I was scared, dude. I Let was, me ask you this. I was scared. The humor. Do you think that was... It was a cover-up. It was yeah. a mask. Deflection. Oh, it was 100%. Yeah. Uh, 100%. <laughs> I didn't even consider it. It's <laughs> a coping mechanism. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. So, so It's pretty self-aware that you that you knew you weren't prepared to go to war, though. Like, the day we were leaving for Afghanistan for my first deployment, I was like, it still doesn't make sense to me, like, what we're doing. S- same like, here. It seems like fun. seems like funsies still. <laughs> funsies. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the first mission drops, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'll never forget, like, exiting... Uh, the the forty seven in the back the and I first was like, moment. Well, this is real. Now this it's is, real. This is real life open world. Yeah, yeah, open world concept. I'm like, telling oh, you, man. But see, like now that shit. It, uh, I remember hearing a few years ago. This is before the notorious slap by Will Smith. But because <laughs> now, anytime you bring up his name, everybody thinks of the slap. Unfortunately, oh for Chris Rock, but they should be thinking like I am Legend, right? Or, yeah. you know, Fresh Prince, or <laughs> but I, there, there, I Robot. He did, he did this. He talked about his his father was like this really tense guy, and mm. and was always I don't know if he had a I don't know if he drank, but he was always tense. And and Will talked about how he identified as an adult that every time his dad went to that place. He was conditioned to try to make him happy. Mm, yeah, that 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 that's how he responded. Be the levity, right? Yeah. And he so he talked about you know there was like this whole thing about with him being on Fresh Prince of Bel Air and him having a, a fallout with Aunt Viv, you know, the second mom, and mm. and because she came into it like this is I'm an actress, this is work, and he was just more like this is fun, this is, yeah. but but a kid. For, him, for him he was also like. He didn't understand how to meet that energy. Mm. I remember when I heard that clip, I was like, oh, shit, that's me. My mom suffered from, I believe, definitely depression. I believe there are some other things that that she, she never got diagnosed. Sure. 
But I was conditioned every time that I saw my mom's eye and it sort of like her, her eye sort of shifted and her body language shifted. I was conditioned. I had to come in and make her happy. Mm. I had to come in and make it okay. I had to sort mm -hmm. of bring that levity, as you said, right? That's what I was conditioned. So it's a lot of responsibility. You for think a kid. about me going yeah. into the military and now being in these positions that are incredibly uncomfortable mm -hmm. where I have to be vulnerable and I don't know shit yeah. and I'm scared. Well, what am I going to? Mask that with. Make a joke. I got it, Comedy. guys. Ah, oh, this right? Like so a hundred percent I was utilizing that as a trait to be able to just sort of just kind of fly under the radar to mm -hmm. some degree. But I looked at the guys in my unit, like you guys know. You guys talked about you went to Fort Irwin to do training. I never did that. Hmm. I'm going to lean heavily on you guys, right? You guys are going to guide me and I'm just going to do everything mm -hmm. you guys tell me to do. Cause that's the only way I come home. And hopefully you come home mm -hmm. that that's the conversation I'm having with myself on a plane heading over seas. I'm literally sitting on a plane with my weapon. And I had to carry the two, four, nine saw because the guy that normally carries the freaking saw was, was on a ship with all our gear. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't take the saw. So he took my M16. So then the young guy gets stuck with this heavy ass <laughs> weapon. Should. And I'm like, what do I do with this thing? Yeah. Six, six weeks in, you're carrying the saw. You're just carrying it now. Yeah. Like a suitcase. <laughs> yes. You're not like using it. I'm not using not it like, yet. Not you using can, it yet. You can carry it, but you <laughs> but can't use it. But I remember being yeah. on a plane, freaking watching. They put on that Mel Gibson, We Were Soldiers <laughs> film. <laughs> to like spice I mean, it up or that's something yo guys I don't... hey uh <laughs> real quick guys this is what it's gonna be uh when we land yeah. so, <laughs> so like, you're gonna have oh, to write letters boy. and have, not have phone calls that's what <laughs> yeah. i took away from yeah. it yeah shit i can't call anybody broken <laughs> arrow <laughs> that's all but i take it's wild man and so like i remember landing in kuwait you know obviously the first couple weeks of being there you're just sort of kind of getting adjusted figure out where your base is going to be um you know, man, I'm I'm very big about energy. I'm 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 all about energy, right? Like I've learned over over the last few years that everything in life is about energy exchange. Mm -hmm. And I can identify when I don't have it. Mm -hmm. And I and I understand how to protect what I do have remaining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like if I see you on the street, David, and you come up to me and you got all this energy and I have none, and then or let's say you have none and you're just taken from me taken from me. i understand now that's that's is depleting me even more of course i i, I boundaries boundaries i got to protect what reserve i yes. have mm -hmm. and i have to get out of this conversation for this moment and i have to find a way to maybe go run into christian and be like hey christian's gonna give me what i need fill me back up and then i can come and maybe kind of help you or, you know what i'm saying like so i'm very big about energy what you it's, put your it's equilibrium yes at, at the end of the day is you know, you're going to try to reach that steady state, no matter who you're around, yeah. you're going to balance each other out. If uh -huh. you're, if you're high, you don't want to hang out with those that are low yep. <laughs> or yep. you need to put that safeguard or protection up for yourself. Don't and be so, an energy vampire. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, energy <laughs> and, and, and so it took me a long time to identify that, but you know, I finally, it, you know, when I was overseas, man, I, again, energy is important to me, manifestation, all that stuff, like all, all that stuff I buy into. Mm-hmm. I remember the one thing that would always trip me out about being in war. I, I would think laying in my cot in the middle of the night, like sitting in my Humvee in the middle of the night, just kind of, you know, pulling guard and just looking up at the desert and the sky mm -hmm. and the stars. And I literally would like think about like, okay, if I got shot, like if I got stabbed, you know, like mm -hmm. I guess those are things. And that never phased me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what really rocked my world to think about? What's that? was a freaking landmine, like a mm, bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like a like we had to like do the Claymore training, like, you know, how to do and explosions. That always rock explosives. Me, always yeah. rock me. Yeah. Well Do you know why? The surprise or something? I, I, maybe. I yeah. don't know, man. I, I, I mean just the sheer violence of explosions. Yeah. It's terrifying. Like I remember going yeah. through training and like you had to like, you know, low crawl up to it and then you had to take the wire off and <laughs> all that gosh. shit and just sit there yeah. sweating like I'm bomb how, squad. How about the claymores <laughs> that are literally like front towards enemy yeah. and you could be directly behind them <laughs> when you go claymore, claymore, claymore. <laughs> it blows up. In front of your face. You yeah. know what I mean? That's intimidating. Oh, that man. shit would rock me, 1600 man. 1,600 ball it, bearings. And it, it just got in my head. Yeah. Well, I put so much energy into that. Yeah. Now, mm. what is – eventually, I ended up driving a Humvee over a roadside bomb. Yeah. 
that was mm-hmm. essentially almost like a landmine, right? Like you couldn't see it, and that's the thing that gets me. So back mm-hmm. that up a little bit. So six weeks, you're on a, a plane carrying someone else's weapon system, not even <laughs> yours, and like – yeah, to set the scene a little bit. You get in, you're you're doing what type of operations? Man, so early on our job was uh, once everything came in, um, like our Humvees and everything, mm-hmm. then we were we were one of the units that were had the responsibility of escorting different MOSs from point A to point B safely. So mm-hmm. we were okay. essentially um, you know, just um, you know, had these crazy like, you know, um just long like caravans of like all these different cars. And yeah. I remember there was a big conversation one time about like, Oh, that this, this, uh, uh, this group that we're trying to escort, it's too many cars. We're going to be a big target and you can't have that target, et cetera. And, and, and that was what I did early on. Like, I mean, I was a private, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, I was the extra guy in the Humvee. There was, you know, four of us crammed into this Humvee. We had the whole tow system set up in the back of the Humvee. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you, you I was just like, what do I need to do? And I was just going through the motions and I'll, I'll, I learned a lot in the short amount of time that I was in in the, in that environment, that setting. Um, One of the biggest things that I learned was uh, I was introduced to leadership and what type of leadership that I gravitated to, what type of leadership that I wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately at that point, I didn't see myself that way. But later in life, I was like, this is the type of leader I want to be to emulate what I experienced. But I remember I I felt there was a disconnect between me and the guys in my unit. I I didn't feel like there was, you know, listen, you know, we talk about camaraderie. We talk about the brotherhood. Sure. And I believe it's real. A hundred percent. I believe it's real. But I believe it was hard for me to obtain that because I just arrived. Mm-hmm. These guys had time together yeah. to connect, to click, to train, to sweat, to cry, whatever the hell they did together. I didn't have that with them. Sure. Mm-hmm. I come from a broken past where I'm looking for that already in life. And then I'm in this environment where I'm like, hey, guys, we're together, right? Like, And I didn't feel that connection with these guys so much to the point that I remember one time um, in our tent – um, it was called Camp New York. I mean, after 500 names later, God knows what it's called now, if it's even there. But <laughs> it was Camp New York at the time. And I remember one of the guys in, in my unit taking off his shirt. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at his chest, <coughs> excuse me, when I looked at his chest, he had a tattoo of the unit crest. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, a new, him, he's a new guy? No, he had been there. Okay. He had been there a little okay. bit. And I asked him, I said, why do you have that tattooed on your body? And he said, because I love this. It's a brotherhood. Mm. My response, I mean, I mean, straight up pure, man, I'm like just organic. I was just like, nah, I don't believe this is a brotherhood. I don't think anybody cares. Hmm. I just respond because that's what I felt. Yeah. I felt this disconnect. My lieutenant walking by overhears this, takes me outside in the middle of the desert and smokes me. The entire time he's smoking me, he's talking about. This is a brotherhood. We look after one another, not just in this deployment, but forever. Like he's going on and on and on. Listen, whether I, I believed him or not, I was going to be like, hate building. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I was just going to be like, yep, you're right, sir. Like you sure. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like yeah, it. You're, no. you're making it worse. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I remember going back in, finding that dude. And I was like, Hey man, my bad. He's like, it's all good, man. It's, it takes time for you to experience that. Yeah. Well, hammer the nail, huh? <laughs> then that we would do these briefings. These briefings, daily briefings, talk about situational stuff, right? I remember my sergeant, one of my sergeants, would sit down and he'd have like uh, like a note card and he'd he all the things that he had to cover during that little briefing with us, situational stuff. Mm-hmm. Young private, what do you what are you not supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Speak, like you're not yeah. supposed to be heard yeah. at all, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, but I'm private Martinez. I'm not private anybody else. Martinez yeah. is going to speak, so. <laughs> I of course cracking the jokes. <laughs> I raised my hand. I'm like, oh, sergeant. So, uh, just some clarity on that situation that you just presented right there. So, you're telling me that if David goes down, I can't run in to go save him. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. my mind is like, like any other civilian would be private like, logic. I got to run in and grab him and help him get home. Right. Yeah. That's my thought process. The more I asked questions about clarity of what. Dude, listen, you guys get this shit. Like, <laughs> I was 19. Yeah. 
Three years before that, I just got my driver's license. Yeah. I could drive in any city in America, in the world. I'd be like, yeah, I've been driving since I was 12 in the fields of freaking <laughs> Arkansas and Louisiana. Like, I know how to drive. Mm -hmm. But I remember one of the briefings was my sergeant talking about that it, as we drive through these towns, and I was going to be the primary driver, mm -hmm. if people try to stand in front of our Humvees, we don't stop. Yeah, yeah. And I was like... Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. One more question. Hey, uh, when we look, don't stop and they're in front, what do we do? Because I was taught that pedestrians have the right of way. Now you're telling me, uh, just kind of nudge them. That is, that's nudge them. Like, what do you mean? Like, it, right. So I asked a lot of those kind of questions, just trying to understand yeah. war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. War. It's, it's not logic. It's, it's war. It's, it's, it's understanding how to survive yeah. and how you make it home. And it's, it's very different concepts. It's very Surviving. different concept. Yeah. Illogical sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And I remember the more that I asked questions like that, it wasn't honestly me being a dumbass and clowning around. It was honestly like, what do you mean? Can you explain that? Yeah. This is what I kept getting from my sergeant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's bad leadership. Bad leadership. Yeah. So what does that do? Now I'm thinking to myself, well, combination with what lieutenant and all it was being smoked. And all, I'm like, mm. man, fuck this shit. Like, yeah. This yeah. is not for me. And and that that's the thing is that they drive home the wrong points. Yes. Is is instead of taking you out back and smoking you, it's like, hey, come on out to like our unit bar. Yeah. yeah. Sit down and see these guys' stories and right. stuff like that. It's like there is no, no, it's completely unnecessary to smoke the shit out of you to drive home a, a factor of why you should love the place. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're punishing instead of, instead of instructing, and like nourishing, if, instructing, if, guiding. If your yeah. subordinates are not feeling part of the, the brotherhood or the family or whatever you want to call it, that's your fault as a leader. Absolutely. Like, oh, they're, they're feeling like they, 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 they're not involved. It's a fault on me as a leader to make them, you know, feel involved, to make them feel like part of the team, yeah. part of the family. It's not incumbent upon them to figure out how to do that. It is in in a certain aspect, but as as a leader, you're not supposed to punish them for it. Right? Like, oh, so, <laughs> so, so the so, meetings will continue till so morale here, improves. So here I am <laughs> right? now, developing this mindset of like, I can't wait to be done with this deployment. I can't yeah. wait to be done with three years. Move on with my life. Be done with this shit. Like that's the mindset. And that's I kept going good, on these yeah. routine missions with that mindset. Yeah. And then one day I remember sitting down, getting a briefing from one of our commanders and this dude stood up there like a fucking GI Joe, man, dude's fit. Mm. His uniform was pressed. Like, and he literally looked out into the crowd and he talked about how important every single one of us were. He talked about all of us having a role. He talked about what we were accomplishing mm -hmm. in, 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 in everyday mission, but this entire deployment, all of a sudden I went on a mission that next day to be a part of this movement to escort a group of people from here to there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, I was like, I don't know who those people are. I don't yeah. know who we just helped get to this town, but I believe that they're going to go help somebody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was a part of the process to help them get there. A very small part of the process. Cause I'm still a private, but nonetheless, I was a part. Yeah, you <laughs> I, get was, that, I was a part of something. Get that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that one guy, all of a sudden, Changed my entire trajectory, my thought process. Yeah. Then I started thinking, well, shit, maybe I don't want to limit this to three years because now I understood service. Mm -hmm. Now I understood being a part of something yeah. bigger than myself. Then I started plotting when I get back from this deployment, I want to go, I want to go to Ranger school. Yeah. I want, I want to go to aerosol school. Yeah. I want to go to air. I want to, I, I want to do all, I want to yeah. do this shit for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. But what happens when you start getting too far down that rabbit hole of planning out your life, as people say, God laughs. Yeah. And literally on the 5th of April of 2003 on a routine mission, just driving a Humvee through a city called Karbala, I'm sitting there clowning, you know, with the guys. We're just, we're on a routine mission. We're, we're placing the lack of freedom and family and friends with humor. We're all just yeah. kind of passing time, just kind of passing yeah. this drive. And my sergeant is clowning about something. The guy in the back seat's making a joke. The gunner's up there like you know spitting sunflower seeds and shit and back into the humvee and we're all like talking shit to him about that and then all of a sudden boom fuck life changes in an instant life changes like that man i was hmm. trapped inside of the humvee the humvee was now engulfed in flames you guys would understand this and i think a lot of your listeners would understand this especially who have been in this in this setting before it immediately sounded like a fourth of july show mm-hmm 
right? Because we had, I had, I had uh, two, four, nine rounds right behind me, mm-hmm. stored right behind me. I had that the tow system in the back of the Humvee set up. Yeah, like the other three guys were thrown out of the vehicle. I'm trapped inside. Everything's heating up and just shooting off. Yeah, <laughs> just oh, cooking off all the rounds. Of course, I'm conscious for five minutes. I mean, listen, I can go into detail. I can tell you that I saw the skin on my hands melting. I remember yeah. that vividly. Damn. Like I, when I look at my hands now that are grafted, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember. I remember the skin hang, especially the right. I remember the skin hanging off of my right, my right hand. I remember that. Yeah. But I remember also gasping for air. I remember like screaming at the top of my lungs for someone to please come and pull me out. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling like nobody was ever going to come and pull me out of this Humvee. I remember feeling like I've been in this Humvee, not for five minutes, but for 50 minutes, yeah. but for yeah, five for hours, for five days. Like, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to die. Yeah. 19 years old. My mother's fear is going to become a reality. They're going to give her a flag, all the stuff. I thought of all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In that, in those few few moments. But here's the yeah. crazy thing, man, and that's why when I do a lot of the, the the speaking that I do, you know, groups will bring me in and they're like, "Can you talk about the fifth of April of two thousand three? And I'm like, "Well, yeah, of course I can, but I can't just start there." Yeah, yeah. I was nineteen when that happened. Mm-hmm. That's where the previous nineteen years of life, good or bad, conditioned me, yeah. prepared me, the resiliency, the perspective, because. Every time my eyes got heavy inside of that Humvee and I felt myself getting weaker and weaker and letting go and letting go, I would talk to myself and say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep my eyes closed. And I would open them and I would continue to like scream and yell. And I believe that that was a thing that allowed me to continue to fight, to stay alive, to mm-hmm. give two of my sergeants that ended up pulling me out of the Humvee, the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Started the medevac process. I went to a local medic station set up in Iraq. I later linked up with a couple of people that were in that unit um, that actually remember treating me mm. in, in, in Iraq. And they talked about how I kept sitting up and fighting every, like everybody off and telling them that I was fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. And finally, they're like, we got to put this dude into a coma. Yeah. Like, yeah. we got to preserve this energy. Wow. And because think about it. This is early 2003. Mm-hmm. I was burned. And I say only not to downplay what me or anybody like me has gone through. But because I've I recovered at Brook Army Medical Center, the burn center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw guys that showed up with 40, 50, 80, 90, almost 100% of their body oh, burned and survived. Yeah. So I'm not downplaying what I've been through, but at the time, being burned this extent mm-hmm. was pretty severe. And they were like, yeah. we don't know if he's going to make it. And it's not and even because percentage? of the exterior. 34. 34%. And it wasn't necessarily because of the exterior. It was because, and you would know this, because of me being trapped inside of the Humvee and hailing all the smoke yeah. and my lungs and my organs and broken ribs. Like everything was shutting down internally, mm-hmm. which – Probably symbolic of life, right? You got to deal with the interior before you start really focus on the exterior. Yeah. I start the medevac process. I end up in launch to Germany, um, going to emergency surgery. Once I was stable, they put me on a plane and brought me to the United to the States. And I went to San Antonio, which is the burn center for the military. And can we roll it back just a touch? Yeah. Do you mind talking about your, your medevac process? So like I don't remember much of it. You don't remember much no, of it? Yeah. I really don't. I mean, honestly, I don't even remember that that moment of them. Sure. Talking about they put me. you on ketamine. I don't know what the hell they put me on. Probably ketamine. I don't know. Yeah, what 2003. I'm not sure what they were using that early. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I know morphine. this. I know. Probably I, morphine. Yeah, I remember. I definitely morphine. Yeah, definitely. What they were yeah. Using. yeah. Um, but I remember having this. So my best friends here, Dan, you guys, you know, Daniel Vargas, ladies off, and gentlemen, sitting off camera. Uh, he knows this shit, and he messes with me way too much about this, but. One of the things that I fear is not Claymore Mines anymore. Like, I actually don't worry about that <laughs> shit because I, I know that I'm not going to deal with that driving down 35 or yeah. anything, you know? Like, hopefully. So I, I, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but the thing I, that yeah. really spooks me, man, like, honestly, I don't yeah. know why, is freaking snakes. Snakes get me, bro. <laughs> Dude, like, they get a lot of people, man. And, yeah. and, and, and they spook the, and because there's just, like, so many variants of them, right? It's like, <laughs> damn, if he has this color, if it has that color, if it's this long, or, like, I'm like just too man, much to figure out, just avoid. Down- Buy a snake, brother. After this, like, after this all this, is bad luck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is bad luck. after all this, like 
What killed him? Oh, he got killed by a shopping cart. It was a freak accident. Like, uh, a little grass snake got him somehow. Don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> so, but but literally, I remember the only thing I remember is being. I remember while I was in this coma, mm-hmm. having this weird sort of hallucination that I was at this house and it turned out that I was at a house of some NASCAR driver, which I don't even know why. Like I'm not even like really like a avid NASCAR fan, but I was at this house and there was a bunch of people there and it was almost like a dog and pony show, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was the, (laughs) I was the, the showcase. The token. Yes. (laughs) And everybody's like, Hey, my mom's there. And then all of a sudden everybody rushed in from the house. Like they, they rushed over to me They grabbed me. They held me down. And I remember them trying to put a snake down my, in my mouth, down my throat and, and me yelling at my mom, like screaming at my mom, like, mom, no, tell them to stop. And my mom's like standing over me, like just crying, but everyone's just trying to shove a snake down my throat. Interesting. Isn't that crazy? This is your experience during your coma. Yeah. During my coma. Like when I came out of the coma, that's what I vividly remember. I remember that. And I was like, and then, so of course you. Talk to a therapist about that, and no, I should. Interesting. I'm, uh, that would be. An I'm talking to you, motherfuckers, right now. Like, <laughs> you, welcome to you your are therapy, my therapist, session, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> How does that make you feel, Jr.? <laughs> no, but dude, we, we talk to people all the time who have crazy interactions on 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 these medicines. Yeah, like ketamine. We had uh, uh, one guy on Justin Day, and he said, anytime oh, he's on boy. ketamine. It's a fucking crazy story. He sees women in all four corners of the room peeling skin. That's good life. Oh, peeling wait. the skin from their back over their head, and everything's on fire. Walls on fire. Yeah. There's People blood, on fire. The, the walls are bleeding and on fire, and there's women peeling the skin over their head. That sounds every like time. the room that I want to be in. Every time. As a burn guy. <laughs> yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah thanks. Put the burn guy in that room. I'll, yeah. I'll thrive in that environment. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, been there once. Try me again. <laughs> exactly. So, it, interesting uh, question that I have to say before you continue is like, I mean, like, what's your your stance on fire now? I mean, do you like see campfires and you're just like, oh fuck that, or is nah, it just it doesn't phase me one? So, or you're just like, I feel dude, one I, with this, now. dude. I I I feel like <laughs> it's it's in me. Yeah, that's it's what I in mean. me. Like like I I, I make like if. Like if I'm at the house and my wife's like, oh, can we have a fire? And I'm like, hell yeah, we can. Yeah. Watch me bring in all this wood. Let me see how Pouring big gas I can. Yeah. On it. Yeah. Standing over it. Like, Part no, honestly, now, yeah. I mean, listen, all jokes aside, I think I have done and still am doing so much work to take away the power of that day. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people will come up to me and talk about like, when they say the 5th of April of 2003, they have this like, <sighs> can you talk about, that? Oh my God. yeah, right, totally. right. There's that weight. There's totally. that tone. There's that shift. And I say to people, Hey, it's all good, man. Like, yo, relax. Like, actually you look at the 5th of April of 2003 as a tragedy. I look at it as a blessing. Mm. It's true. Yeah. But true. I've done so much work, man. It hasn't been easy. It's been very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I've had to cry a lot by myself. I had to cry with people that I love and I know people that love me. Sure. I've had to I've 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 broken some relationships because I wasn't prepared to go there or people weren't prepared to receive yeah. that. I mean, there's been a journey to get to this point for me to look at that day that almost took of my course. life and scarred me forever. Yeah. To be able to be like, no, it's a blessing. And I was telling the story the other day. There's this um he um I was doing this actually podcast with with somebody else that um, that he, he started Remax and, and, um, early on he, um, Remax was a very big supporter of a nonprofit that I was involved in that was geared towards helping service members and their families. And, uh, and, and I, you know, remember like, Oh, this is Dave, like, Oh my God, the the guy, this is the Mr. Remax guy. Like, this is cool. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in the presence of this dude. And, um, so he has a podcast. He kind of had his own journey as well, had a medical scare. And so we were talking the other day and he was like asking me about like the 5th of April. And, and I said, you know, man, I think the first time when I realized that it was a blessing, mm-hmm. I remember about a year after I was injured um, through this nonprofit, I was in New York and there was this big press conference because the nonprofit had developed this partnership with Leanne Rhymes, who at the time, you know, was at the height of her career, right? And there was she was gonna it was gonna be her and I coming into this room 
with all these reporters and everything to talk about this partnership and the issues that, you know, that, that surround service members and the gaps and how the general public can make donations and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Sure. I remember walking into this room, walking alongside her, Leanne Rhymes, right? And noticing immediately most of the eyeballs were on me. Mm. Not mm. her, me. Yeah. And I just sort of kind of – now, mind you, there's a whole trigger component in that as well, right? So I could be triggered and, yeah. and, and sent back into a dark space, but I just kind of owned it, and I was just kind of like – I sort of developed this edge, yeah. which it was good for the moment, for a phase of my life, but there mm-hmm. came a point where I was like, okay, this is not healthy anymore. It's, yeah. it's, it, I'm operating from an unhealthy place, and what I mean by that is I, after I was injured and after I saw my face and my body and that was this – was difficult. And then of course I was told that I couldn't stay in the army. So there goes that whole ranger and air assault and airborne and 20 year career or service. All that was gone. Now I sort of developed this edge where when people would stare at me, I sort of developed this edge. Like, fuck you. I know why I look like this. Mm -hmm. That was my survival. That was the way I survived. Now there's an element of defense. You know, there's a defense mechanism in that Mm -hmm. as well. I kept operating from that place because it allowed me to just survive. But what I realized over time is I was also – it was a barrier. It was closing me off from being able to have conversation with people, to let people in, to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. to to tell people, no, it actually does bother me when people do a double take, when people do stare at me. Yeah. It does affect me, right? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't show that because I needed yeah. to survive. Yeah, you needed to be strong. I needed yeah. to be strong. So that this. Leanne interaction, I'm being strong. Well, later that night, I go back to my hotel room and I'm just – thinking about this and that was probably that was one of the first moments where i I vividly remember sitting there thinking about like oh like my scars are like a a tool like i can use them absolutely like i i I can because we're naturally curious individuals right so Mm -hmm. you see me or you see an amputee or you see Mm -hmm. something that might be a little out of the ordinary for most people You're going to, it's going to catch your attention. You're going to be focused on it for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. But the way that I started to see it was like, well, maybe that 10 to 15 second window of curiosity, maybe that can turn that into a 60 second educated dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. But even then it's, it is, um, incredibly disarming Yeah. as well. And, and, you know, people have tend to have a stigma when, they're first introducing themselves yeah. in, in let's, let's call them normal people. Mm-hmm. Normies. <laughs> Normies. <laughs> and, um, you know, when, when they look at you and they, they've seen, they could see the adversity that you faced in your life that automatically lets them be a little bit more susceptible to who you are. Yeah. You know, sure. and you're able to use that as a tool and two, being able to talk about your story over and over again, takes away the power of yep. that story. Yep. You know, um, I, I, ha- I do the same thing, you know, September 20th is my date. And whenever I tell this story, I have to remind myself at the end when people come up and they're like, wow, that's really incredibly powerful. It just, it, it just seems like me talking on a Tuesday. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's what I tell people. I was like, I could tell you details of the 5th of April of 2003 as if I told you details about you know, going to dinner with my family last yeah, night. Like yeah. it's like what type of cheese. Yeah, like exactly. Like, <laughs> Oh, we went back and forth about, are we going to split this? Or are we not going to split this? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like, I mean, it's just, it, there's, there's no real weight to it anymore mm-hmm. because yeah. I decided to take the conversation in a different, the trick is understanding it's weight for other people. Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, back to that whole energy thing, I put an immense amount of pressure on myself to be that, yeah. to show up and, and treat every opportunity to interact with somebody as an opportunity to educate mm-hmm. and to influence, but it also was depleting me, sure. right? So Interesting. So, so Because yeah. every interaction I had, I, I came to it with this intensity. Mm-hmm. It had to be this. And I realized I was putting so much into every conversation that I would have, whether it was a civilian to get a civilian to understand the challenges that men and women and families are experiencing coming home. Like how I would walk around the burn center in between my own appointments, visiting mm-hmm. patients now mm-hmm. and just kind of walking into rooms and just saying, Hey guys, this is, this is who I am. Yeah. I've been here X amount of time. Do you got any questions? 
And I would listen to conversations between spouses, between the patient and the parents or whomever was in the room. And they would talk about like, okay, so how much money do we have in the, in, 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 in my bank account? Okay. So that'll pay this bills because whoever, whoever mobilized themselves to be there by this person's bedside for the duration of their recovery, however long they needed them, whether it was a month, three months, six months, yeah, three years. years yeah. mm-hmm. Guess what? The bills are still accumulating back home. Yep. Yeah. And I would, I would be privy to those conversations because I would just be sitting in the room and people would feel comfortable. They got to a point where people were like, that's JR. He's like sort of the mascot of the burn ward. <laughs> and I would, yeah. I would sit in these rooms and I would hear these conversations and it would infuriate me, man, yeah. that here's David trying to, pieces life back together trying to figure out how he's going to live a quote-unquote normal life and yet all he's thinking about is how his mom or his girlfriend or his wife i don't know you know whomever was in the Mm -hmm. room how they were going to pay their bills and not fall into debt and and lose this or that and i was like that's bullshit so what i started doing is every time i interacted with a civilian i always sort of came from this place of intensity and a little bit of anger mm-hmm. that people didn't have that fucking perspective yeah. that people didn't understand that. Yes. The government medically took care of all my expenses. Yeah. Thank God. But there's a lot of other shit, but there's a lot of other things, yeah. right? There's the financial thing, which was big back then. Now there's the whole mental aspect of things, mm-hmm. right? Like it. And so I, I, one day, man, I've, uh, and this is, we're fast forwarding a lot here, but I, once I got into like the entertainment space and, and I remember one day specifically being at work and everybody sort of congregated and all the actors and stuff congregated in the hair and makeup room, which I had no business being in, yeah. <laughs> but that's where everybody was. So I just hung out there, you know, like, <laughs> like walk in and be like, what's up? Everybody? Extra makeup for this guy. <laughs> just hit me with the anti-shine guys. You know, 30, that light's kind of bright over there. 34% right extra off of makeup. This dome, you know, can we just pat me and we're good. Powder. Um, T-Zone. But I would hear people like come in, man, Monday, Tuesdays after a long weekend, whatever. And the shit that they were talking about that that was relevant in their life, Mm -hmm. that was difficult. I was like, I'd roll my eyes. Like You have no idea. You have no idea. But but then I realized after some time, unfortunately, I probably rubbed some people the wrong way. But luckily later, I realized that that it's not their fault. It's not. Yeah. It takes some. Yeah, it's not and ev- f- every single person you encounter has not experienced this before. Right. Right. Yeah. So that we're just that gonna needs- like move on. The fact you just slapped yourself with the mic. I slapped myself with the mic like a yeah. gangster. Like you just like moved right beyond that. You just like. <laughs> Thanks for uh, spotlighting us for that one. But... <laughs> hey, hey, season two bloopers. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll edit that in post. Don't worry about it. Get used to Yeah, but every every single person is is different. So when they hear this story, it's for the first time. But they're also gonna you know have those those questions that might annoy you and everything that's yeah. going on there too. So it takes <laughs> it takes some growing up to do to realize though that it's not necessarily that they don't. You, you can't expect them to know, right? right? You can't expect them to know how to react or, or to understand. And I think it takes some growing up to, to realize it's my job to educate them. Right? Yeah. It's my job to get, let them know these are the additional issues we're running into. This is the type of stuff that we're the issues that we're running into. Yeah. Oh man, you just did uh, something right there. I ooh, hear Chris, like you're so, much so better. soothing. You're so much more soothing. Welcome. Like, he's, he's so, uh, like, I just so want to interview him here. now and just like, <laughs> like, can you read an audible to me right now? Can you just like, <laughs> Welcome. Oh, so beautiful. The Medivac <laughs> audio book. Well, that, that's, uh, you know, it, it is Excuse in, me. incredible. And I, I think we're going to have to, we're going to have to get you back on Man. the show the to talk, come. to talk more about what you're continuing to do now. Damn, I think we dude. Got... This is it. This is it. I'm like all riled up. I'm like Whew. comfortable with you guys. I like I got like such good vibes and such good. I'm just now settling into like there's an imprint now in, of my ass <laughs> in this couch. I'm that comfortable right now. And now, no, listen, man. Um, listen, we, we we haven't even gotten close to unpacking. I think a lot of people won't, you know, if they read my bio or if they hear about the things that I've been able to do over the last ten years, mm. they're gonna focus on the shiny things, right? Mm, like yeah. that's what a buy. That's why you pay those marketers to, <laughs> to write up something and they, you know, make it really lengthy to make it sound amazing. And, but I want people to understand and listen, hopefully we can do this again, but there was a lot of, I didn't immediately just figure this out, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, a lot of it, years. It, it took a lot of years. It took a lot of me learning how to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that was foreign to me, that, that whole vulnerability element. It took my best friend, who's 17 years older than me, Air Force veteran, to literally tell me to sit down in the passenger seat of his car in the mix of me one night just being pissed and angry and yeah. wanted to take it out on people. Yeah. And I wanted to fight. <clears throat> that, I wanted to fight. I wanted to fight my best friend who's six foot four. You've had him on this podcast before, Daniel Vargas. He's sitting right here. <laughs> He's a tank of a man. Six foot four, 275 pounds. You got some balls, And <laughs> And in that little spider monkey in me, it was like, let's go, bro. But it was all operating from this place of like, I was just hurting inside. I was looking for a sense of community. When I got back home, man, my lieutenant never hit me up. Mm. The guy that smoked me, that said, I got your back forever and ever and ever because we're part of this fraternity. None of those guys reached out to me. I made the effort to reach out to them and they never reciprocated that energy. How did that, how did that, how did, how did that make you feel? Oh dude, that to be angered me. That hurt yeah. me because yeah. you know, every time I went into your room and in the, in the burn ward to visit you guys, I would see, you would have your a couple of people from your unit that would come and yeah. just sit in your room for a day yeah. or two, just kind of shoot the shit, just kind of just be there. Nobody eat. came from my unit. Yeah. Nobody did. You. And so I just, so it, all of that compounded, just led me to this place of where I was just, drinking and I was angry mm-hmm. and I was putting myself in really bad situations. Yeah. And it was my best friend one day that easily could have been like, all right, let's fight, dude. I'll whoop your ass real quick. Mm-hmm. And then I'll feel good about myself. And then, you know, you'll be a puddle right there. And instead said, no, nah, man, sit down. Let's talk. Cry. And I started crying, dude. And honestly, yeah, there was crying about some things that happened after my injury, but I was also crying about things that I didn't realize were with me yeah. for yeah. 19 years yeah. of yeah, that's life. You dude. realize that, you know, that PTS and that military experience is just a small percentage. That's just the trigger point. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that is. It's it, just, it, it was it's, just the it's moment. It's the open wound. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's what you have to go in and realize is that there's a lot more internally that happens um, to get to that wound <laughs> before Absolutely. it ruptures. Yeah. And so, you know, it took, I, I just, again, hopefully we could do this again, but I just really want people to understand that there were a lot of nights, man, me, me sitting down looking out a window all dramatic and shit and like it's dark it's middle of night and and, um, i'm crying Mm -hmm. and i have headphones on and all i'm doing is listening to metallica nothing else matters (laughs) and i'm just writing and i'm writing and i'm writing and i'm getting everything out that's inside of me um there were a lot of like days and nights of me driving aimlessly around san antonio Mm. around wherever it was that i lived just Mm-hmm. Trying to find purpose, trying to find somebody to see me for what it is that I felt like I was trying to bring to the world. And, you know, it it, it hasn't been an easy journey. Um, I, I, I've had the opportunity to have success, what some yeah. people may deem as success. But honestly, the whole dancing thing, the acting thing, the the writing the New York Times best, all that's that, that's great. Like, I'm not going to pretend it's not awesome. And People don't want to strive for things like that. But I'll tell you the thing that I'm most proud of, man, is that I feel like I'm breaking generational cycles. Mm -hmm. I feel like my father left when I was nine months old. I have two beautiful kids. I'm in their life. I have a beautiful wife. I'm working on becoming a better man Mm -hmm. and redefining what that means. So that way I could be a better husband, a father, a friend, an advocate, um, and whatever the hell else I get into in the world, because I'm only 39 and... I'm excited about what the next 30, 40, 50 years hopefully yeah. have in store yeah. for me. But until then, I'm just on this really cool journey, man, just to sort of kind of unpack everything that's there that, um, you know, hopefully will make me a better person. Life mm-hmm. is supposed to be full of adversity mm-hmm. yeah. and you're navigating it uh, extremely well. Um, love to have you on for part two. Yeah. We want to talk about, um, you know, your continued service and some of the coping that you've had to do. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that, but yeah. uh, thanks so much for sharing. I'll, today. Leave, I'll leave you with this man, Charlie Plum. He's a Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. He was a POW for six years. He said while he was a POW, there's two things that stood out that, that, that I remember vividly from his time as a POW. The first thing is adversity is a terrible thing to waste. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. It's true. The second thing he says that another POW said to him when he got there, because he was so angry about the fact that he was captured and he's in the situation and he blamed everybody. You go down the list of people you can blame. 
the people that worked on the aircraft because he was a pilot, the, the aircraft, the blah, 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 blah. And the other POW said to him, acid does more harm in the vessel where it's stored than on the subject where it's poured. Mm-hmm. So you and I can have all this shit inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. And we're just spewing it to people. <coughs> <coughs> Spewing it, spewing it, spewing it, spewing it. Yeah, it's going to hurt that person because yeah. acid is acid, right? Yeah. But it's going to eat us up inside. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're the ones that it's, we're storing Corrosive it. Corrosive all around. And so yeah. I, I literally think of Charlie Plum almost every day in those two things. Mm-hmm. And I think about what is something that's bothering me now? My wife didn't freaking do this or someone I work with didn't do this. Yeah. I try to check myself and say, Acid does more harm in the vessel where JR, get rid of that shit. JR, find a way to sort of find a healthy outlet for it. Adversity. Okay, right now shit's uncomfortable. Shit's hard. Mm. Shit's difficult. Well, JR, remember the small victories, bro? You've done this before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just Made settle back worse. in, man. You slow down. You have bested everything in your past. Yeah. You have won everything. You've survived. Yeah. You know? And that's that's a thing that people forget as well. Well, dude, listen, thank you guys, you know, for for being patient with me because I know we started this dialogue a while ago to try to make this conversation happen. But thank you guys for continuing this to create this platform and you know, be patient with me to get on here and, and rap. I've truly enjoyed the conversation with both of y'all and same here. Um and, and I think it's dope, man, what you guys are creating here because I think you're obviously bridging that gap between civilians and military personnel to understand that at the end of the day, you know, me, we veterans, we have triggers just like any civilian would have a trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we have trauma just like any civilian would have trauma. We have successes and personalities and quirky things or icks as they call them on TikTok <laughs> now or whatever the hell they're doing <laughs> like anybody else, right? But also too, you guys are also informing a lot of our fellow service members out there. Listen, man, don't. Don't tell me how how tough you are and how cool you are based on what you've done. Show me now how tough and cool you are by checking in on your boy, mm. by 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 not knowing what to say, but not necessarily pulling away from that conversation and that feeling. Instead, actually lean in a little bit more and say, man, I'm willing to sit in the same room with you and just listen to you talk. And even if it doesn't make any sense, I'm actually going to be there with you to kind of sort of help filter through that conversation and what mm. that thing is. Because too many of our guys, as we all know, the truth and we just need to be willing to really show how tough we are by yeah. showing up for one another and being there for one another, not just talking about it, man. There's, we are assets, man, to mm. the civilian. Veterans are assets. We're not liabilities. Absolutely. We have so many incredible like traits and skills and experiences. Yeah. If you could heal properly, if, you're an asset. But we mm-hmm. got to be willing to all encourage one another, just like my veteran boy did it for me. Mm-hmm. And I think I've been able to do it for others. And I'm sure you guys have done it for others mm-hmm. and people have done it for you. We got to continue this this beautiful cycle of healing and being on this journey. So again, man, yeah, listen, thank that. you guys so much. Uh, we'll definitely do it again, man. Now Hell that yeah. I know where you guys are, I, you know, it's easy for me to get here now. So, And, and where do we find you at, brother? Well, I think the the thing that people say now is social media. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. social media. Um, my handles on social media is at I am J R Martinez. Um, so I would just you know if people feel inclined to come check me out, just kind of see what kind of nonsense I'm up yeah. to on a day to day basis. <laughs> sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's a little bit of a kick in the ass. Sometimes it's like a little sentimental stuff, and you know, um, sort of this deep thought uh, that. But nonetheless, I always just try to show up as my, as my authentic self on social mm, media. Love it, brother. Love that. Yeah. Thanks very much for uh, for joining us today, JR. It's hey, been a pleasure. Appreciate you, man. Absolutely. This has been the Medivac Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Take care.